Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here come the Irish! Welcome to the ND on NBC podcast presented by Salesforce. I'm your host, Corey Robinson, joined by Doug Farmer. This is the last episode, Doug. How do you feel? Uh, you say it's the last episode, so I feel a little bit of relief. The season is over. A little bit, little bit of disappointment. It ended how it did for Notre Dame. It was a fun game against USC, though. I, don't, I know Notre Dame loses by 11, but that's college football. That was a fun football game, Corey. 38 to 27 loss in LA. Uh, so the, the before we go into that game and dissect it, let's just talk. What, what is the autopsy, right? Eight and four, number 19 ranking in the AP top 25. Before we get into how we feel about the season, now let, let's dive in. It's time for the autopsy. What stood out to you from that USC game? I am looking forward to next October when Caleb Williams visits South Bend. Caleb Williams, I it, this is the ND on NBC podcast. I realized you can't talk about Notre Dame without talking about USC, even when they don't play USC. Caleb Williams was a blast. Caleb Williams was a star, and and I don't think Notre Dame's defense could have done much better. Like this was only the third time this season the Trojans didn't score north of forty, and really they had thirty-one before Drew Pine gifted them that short field with only three minutes to go. So if you tell me that Notre Dame holds USC to 31 points, holds Caleb Williams in a Heisman-defining performance to 31 points, that's a good showing by Notre Dame's defense, and it was even a better showing by Caleb Williams. That That's what stood out to me. Yeah, there's a couple of times there's those plays. I mean, he had three rushing touchdowns, but there was a one play in, in particular I couldn't get out of my mind where he was uh, scrambling. And, and like you said, that front seven from uh, – the defensive front seven for Notre Dame is nothing to, to, you know, to laugh at. Right. And he looked like vintage Johnny Manziel. I grew up in Texas and there was like people were throwing around Patrick Mahomes or whatever. But to me, that was like Johnny football running. I around. Go bigger. Corey, I go bigger, bigger than OK. What bigger than Johnny football? What, 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 what do you got? Maybe I'm showing my age because you there from Texas did not drop the two syllable oh. name. that. oh, it yeah, was, it was Vince Young to me. Yeah, was, oh, that's true. It was his ability to just pivot out of tackles. With Johnny Manziel, you never even got to the tackle. But Caleb Williams, guys were coming up, were getting a hand on his hips. Isaiah Foskey is one of the strongest human beings I've ever been around. Isaiah Foskey slaps you, you should fall down. But Caleb Williams was able to just turn that into momentum to spin away. It was remarkable. I I went back and rewatched a number of those scrambles, and I didn't see a whole lot of abandoning your rush lane. I didn't see blown tackle angles. I just saw Caleb Williams pirouetting his way through it. It was remarkable. Yeah, he, he made a lot. And that's that's one thing, you know, in sports, you think, okay, well, good defense, better offense. That was just better offense. It really was. He, he I mean, 
extraordinary. I, I think that to me was the highlight. I'm like some of these scrambles and throwing off platform on the run, dime dimes. And then being able, you know, obviously with the three rushing touchdowns, find the end zone time and time again, you think, well, how do you, how do you defend that? And the answer is even for Notre Dame's defense, which I mean, we can get into this. Al Golden, I was very impressed with the way that they, they ended the season the past, you know, six-ish games. I thought they played really well. Um, but, man, there's just no there's just no answer for that. It, you're indefensible. So often in college football, a great performance is made by somebody's mistakes. Notre Dame's defense didn't make those mistakes. That's what we should emphasize that. As much as we're praising Caleb Williams, Notre Dame's defense deserves some praise, too. You can say you liked Al Golden's defense the last however many weeks. Really, it's more than weeks. It's it's the entire season. The only time they gave up excess points was in garbage time at North Carolina or at Navy. Otherwise, that defense held up the entire season. And I say it held up Saturday. Caleb Williams was just that little bit better. Well, let, let's let's go. Uh, let's let's think about the Notre Dame offense really quick before we go into that defense because I I actually disagree a little bit. But you know, I'll, I'll let's just stay USC. Drew Pine uh, threw for over 300 pass yards, uh, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, what did you think about his performance? We, we talked about Caleb Williams. What about Pine? You know, a few weeks ago, Drew Pine was in my place here, giving much better thoughts, looking much better than I do. And afterward, you said to me how much you enjoy talking to him because he's a guy who just loves Notre Dame and it's, it's his entire ethos, to which I have to imagine you are thrilled for him that his name ends up number two in a Notre Dame record after Saturday night. It was the second most accurate passing game in Notre Dame football history, behind only Steve Berline. Berline threw, ten, threw 11 passes. Drew Pine threw 26 and completed 23 of them. It's Was his arm perfect? No. But he had a his own great game that, if not going against Caleb Williams, Drew Pine is being held up right now by Notre Dame fans as a legend for going and beating Lincoln Riley's USC. Well, I mean, almost, almost, almost beating. If not for Caleb Williams, I said. If not <laughs> for. If not you know, for. a lot of qualifiers, Doug. I mean, Notre Dame lost. You know, it, it hurts me to say that. But I do think Drew Pine, one thing that I um, admire about him is he's a lot like Ian Book in the sense that, like, he just finds a way to put you in a position to win games. And I understand that it may not be like an NFL prospect, you know, as far as being able to throw over the defensive line, uh, you know, you could argue either way or whatever. But I think as far as a college football player, you know, all you need from your quarterback is a chance to win. I was recently covering the Bayou Classic in New Orleans, and one of the quarterbacks, uh, excuse me, one of the uh, coaches told us in our pre-production meetings, he was like, I don't need a game manager. I want a quarterback who's a game winner. And I... I understand. I think Caleb Williams in this scenario was a game winner as far as doing things that are just extraordinary, mind blowing. No, no one can defend them. Uh, but I do think Drew Pine has he, he graduated for me from game manager to a guy who can consistently win games and put together some incredibly efficient performances. And like I said, put you in positions to win more often than not. And that's hard to do. Ian Book did that for Notre Dame for a very long time. And, and you know, the, the, he has a college football playoff appearances to, to show for it. Uh, he has two. Falling short against Caleb Williams should not be considered a Drew Pine flaw. And that's the thing that we have to emphasize here. It was Drew Pine had – Drew Pine put Notre Dame in a position to win that game. It Notre Dame lacks the receivers to capitalize on that. Notre Dame lacks this. Notre Dame lacks that. On Saturday night, if you want to say it lacked something at quarterback, it, it lacked a top five quarterback in the country. But Drew Pine at this point might be a top 25 quarterback in the country. I don't think I'm exaggerating by much when I speculate like that. He played that well, and he 
he had Notre Dame in position to beat they beat Clemson. He had them in position to play competitively against a, a likely playoff team in USC. He really did progress this season. Oh yeah, I mean, and I I personally look at everything outside of you know like off. I, I want to know what kind of leader you are, and this is where I saw and we, I, this is where I saw Drew Pine. I think excel the most because we kind of knew he had that that ability to come in and win games for you when you need when you need him to we call we saw flashes of that especially in high school too he had that uh, but for me he went from kind of like the conor mcgregor you know like braggadocious kind of swagger that he had out there a few times you saw him kind of be because everyone talked about him as a, as a, the energy of the team right like he's the guy this season you saw him even keeled even in his uh, talks with us He's very even keeled, focused, focused on business. I think he graduated in that regard as well from, okay, yes, they need energy from me, but they also need stability and calmness. And I don't think he had that in his repertoire, his leadership repertoire prior to this season. And every week I saw more and more of that maturity, which makes me very excited for next season. I also want to highlight, I know uh, Michael Mayer, almost a hundred yard game, uh, two touchdowns. Deion Colsey, I've been waiting for this game for, from Deion Colsey for a long time because I, I do think, I mean, when when I, I heard that he's a guy that they trust and to be a young guy that had, you know, with that size and he has the trust of the coaches and the quarterbacks, I mean, that is a rare thing. It took him a while to come back from a preseason injury, but and I, I'm not here to flatter you, Corey. You and I disagree enough. You know I'm never here to play to your ego. His leaping catch, I think it was his third catch, was Drew Pine put about 18 extra inches under that pass. When Colsey went up and got that, I thought, is he Corey's height? Like, uh -huh. I know Corey's taller than Dion, but like he went up and got that like he was 6'6 in the post. It was remarkable, and it was the kind of jump both literally on that play and figuratively these last few weeks that I had written off. He had such a, a non-existent start to the season that I assumed, well, maybe we'll hear about Deion Colsey next spring. And so it was a rapid move forward for him. Three catches, three first downs. I don't care how many yards. I don't care that one of them was a touchdown. Anytime you have three catches and three first downs in a big game, that that alone speaks to me of the trust you're referencing. And especially at that age. So now we look forward. What happens, you know, obviously at the bowl game, which will be a nice kind of just, okay, what does the future hold? A nice cap to this season. But what are you looking at as far as this this year two of Marcus Freeman's era? Well, there's a whole lot of questions, and we know that's always the case. Who will Notre Dame have a quarterback? Who will even be in the room? Will there be a transfer incoming? Will there be a transfer outgoing? I'm not here to play that guessing game. You have to wonder, will uh, Justin Adamilola come back for a, a sixth season? And if he does, he will get some All-American buzz at defensive end, at least in the preseason. We'll see if he capitalizes on it. So there are those questions, but the real thing that comes down to it is, can Notre Dame start the season better? It's Marcus Freeman can't afford another early season loss. Next year's schedule is it doesn't open with Ohio State, and that obviously makes life easier. But Ohio State is there on September 23rd. Can you be 3-0? and Three should be good wins, should be easy wins before you face Ohio State, and, and who knows what the narrative will be then. But that, for me, is the immediate question. Can they start better? Because – they're going to need to. I mean, that absolutely. I, I think the way that we've seen this team, you know, over time, they, they start picking up speed, they start gelling. And that's where I thought the defense excelled because 
Offensively, you know, you you were buoyed by Michael Mayer, which is a luxury that we don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to go to the league? Is he not? But it's nice. He's going to go, Corey. He's going to. He's going. He's a first fifteen pick. He's going to go. We don't know until until it happens. But you know, it, but yes, it's more likely than not. One could argue, right? But uh, <laughs> it's hard to turn down that opportunity. But but let's you know, let's think about this for a second. He he, he basically gives you a hundred yards and a couple touchdowns per game, right? So that production gone. And it's off the field. Every item you just mentioned a few minutes ago about Drew Pine as a leader, it's no coincidence that his best friend is Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer was that example from week one, week two. We saw against Cal the infamous phone call from Tommy Reese down to Drew Pine. Michael Mayer was right there patting Pine on the shoulder. All those leadership qualities you're referencing that Drew showed as the season went on, he picked them up from Mayer. The the steadiness, the even keel, the, the always moving forward, that all started with Michael Mayer on the offense. In, and so we'll see, I think for the production question, you know, I'm curious to hear what you thought. I personally thought Lorenzo Styles was going to uh, have a, a bigger role in the offense this year. I was wrong. Um, but in my mind, you think, okay, with the current configuration, Deion Colsey, I think, could build on this. It's, I think it's exciting. You know, we'll see how what happens in the bowl game. But to me, he becomes like your possession type of receiver. We know Merriweather. Like, I think he had a very nice season. You think about, okay, if Lorenzo Styles uh, can accept that role of like a workhorse, to me, that's kind of like Larry Fitzgerald, you know, like give me like that type of production could be a pretty compelling receiver core if they stay. Do you think they'll stay? It's it's tough to project. Just knowing college football these days, I would just I'm not trying to suggest anything. I'm simply playing the numbers, knowing college football these days. One of these guys won't be on the team next year. Just this is how the world is these days. You look at them, though, and you think Tobias Merriweather came in as a long, lengthy, athletic freshman, but he didn't have enough muscle. I think everybody saw that. You get him a full offseason, he can he can do better than, than what's it, end up with a stat sheet I'm looking at right now, one cash for 41 yards. If you get more there, he can he alone can raise the profile of those receivers. Notre Dame's greatest offensive weakness is not the quarterback. It's that it does not have the receivers to challenge opposing defenses like you need to in 2022. They're bringing in three pretty well-known receivers as freshmen. One or two of them can produce at all. Then you start to trend that way between Merriweather, one of those freshmen, maybe Styles returns to form. And what you're saying about Colsey, if his floor is is three catches for 60 yards a game and you don't need anything else, like that's that's and that might be his floor at this point. Well, I mean, yeah, three, like you said before, three, three catches, three first downs. So I think when you think about like for me, your receiving core options, you have to have a big play guy, a big play threat. You have to have someone that is. Um, like I said, a Larry Fitzgerald type where you can give him a screen, you can give him a slant, you know, they're a great run after the catch. Um, and like I would say the workhorse, if you will. Notre Dame absolutely loves to get the running backs involved in the receiving game, historically speaking, under Tommy Reese. And that's what is expected out of running backs in the league. And a lot of these running backs want to go to the league clearly. So you you see these running backs at Notre Dame, especially from a young age, want to develop their receiving skills. Put me in the open field. Put me in the slot. You know, allow me to run a, a seam route. Allow me to show my route running ability in my hands so I can put myself in a position to go to the league. So understanding all those things, uh, plus the final crown jewel of Notre Dame offenses historic the past few years because they had Michael Mayer as the tight end <laughs> position. I think you're going to have a pretty well-balanced offense with Drew Pine feeling more confident. Or will we see another quarterback battle? I there's at least a battle. I, like if 
if if the quarterback room remains unchanged, Buckner's going to get a chance to reclaim the starting job. Freeman will will assist on that in the spring. He will be healthy. There's like a I'm not a doctor. There's a 10% chance Buckner can play in the bowl game. He won't. Like that'd be a shock, but he will get a full chance in the spring. And that's if nobody enters or exits this quarterback room. And I will be shocked if Notre Dame does not go get a, a transfer, most likely a graduate transfer. I can sit here and rattle off some names. That's going to sound like I have some insights. No, I just know that there are some really good ACC quarterbacks who are going to want a better opportunity next year. And since their graduate transfers would have an easier time getting into Notre Dame than undergraduate transfers from elsewhere around the country. Again, I'm leaving out names because I don't want to that, that gets to be a questionable affair where I'm saying, oh, yeah, so-and-so, I'm trying to hint so-and-so. I'm not trying to hint anybody. But I suspect somebody's going to enter that room. But even then, when you have Drew Pine, who just came off this impressive season that progressed, you have Tyler Buckner, who is a dual-threat quarterback who's never had a full shot of the season. Notre Dame's going to tell whatever transfer, hey, you got to win the job. This is a two-man race, a three-man race. you got to win the job. And that'll be that's, that's what makes spring fun, right? That's what makes August fun. So let's look to the defense here. Isaiah Foskey, sack leader, uh, career sack leader at Notre Dame. He had a, a sack and a half against USC with all the things that we talked about, the acrobats from, from Caleb Williams. Who's going to replace his production? That's where I mentioned Justin Admilola earlier. He has the sixth year available to him via COVID uh, pandemic eligibility waivers. Will he take it? Will depend on his NFL draft evaluation. He is probably the, the biggest name on this team. Where it's is he going to get a stay in school? Is he going to get a second round? He won't get a second round, but like, will the stay in school convince him? If he comes back, any twenty four year old is going to excel in college football. Just that's how reality is, and he will be able to focus more on college football than on classes because he's going to be closing in on a master's by then. But it's a huge question mark if he will return at all. If he does, that defensive line still looks pretty good. You've got Justin Amulola, Gabriel Rubio, once described famously as wide as a Volkswagen, which that's two holes in the defensive line. Howard Cross and his puncher's hands. And then on the far end, you go back to Riley Mills, who's who's one of the biggest human beings on the football field. Or you can pull up Nana Asafa Mensa, who had a really breakthrough season this year that had long been expected. He just never had his chance. That defensive line still has players. It might not have the overwhelming depth, or at least not that we know of yet, but it still has. I mean, those starting four right there would be quite something. Uh, with the offensive defensive lines at Notre Dame, my, my experience in recent years is that you don't worry about it. Someone's going to lock and load. Uh, those two groups, for me, are like the safest. That's where Notre Dame's kind of built their bread and butter personally. I think that's um, what makes it go. So I'm not worried about that. I have been worried about secondary at Notre Dame for some time this season. I was concerned about the secondary. I think at times they were exposed, um, but Benjamin Morrison has restored my my hope and my faith. Hold on, Corey. I want to ask you, when were they exposed? Well, I mean, uh, there are some times when you have like a one-on-one -on -one matchup, right? So let's think about, well, in Ohio State, let's go way back then. Ohio State, it was more run fits for me. You know, like you need so a secondary that can tackle is a, is an excellent secondary for me personally. You, I want cornerbacks and safeties who can go out there and make plays. In Ohio State, I think that the front seven did a good job of holding them for the most part, but they weren't able to fill the gaps in, against a great team, right? So that's one example. And then some of these, um, as far as coverages are concerned, 
I, I'm trying to think of an example on my top of my head. I think you're thinking the fourth quarter against North Carolina. And when you're up 45-20, you know what? You shouldn't have mental lapses, but you're up 45-20. If you let, uh, I think his first name is Antoine, Antoine Green blow by you, I'm not going to get too worked up over it. Now, yeah, that happened twice, but Notre Dame was up 45-20 against North Carolina. To me, the final 12 points, who cares? Interesting. Yeah, but I thought with Morrison, one thing that impressed me with him is that he restored my faith as far as being a, a lockdown corner, um, like someone like a Julian Love type. Um, yes. Someone like a Cole Luke type who could go get uh, like a ball hawk. I, I don't think the, the emphasis from the defensive secondary that we kept hearing over and over again all season was forced turnovers, forced turnovers, first forced turnovers, right? And I, I didn't see that for the first you know half of the season. But then as the season progressed, I saw those turnovers coming. So that's kind of what I meant as far as questions about the secondary. And the beauty um, of a Benjamin Morrison moving forward is just that one position strengthens the rest of the secondary because they don't have to worry about his guy. They don't have to shade his safety over. Like Benjamin Morrison's got that one. The safeties can help out with everything else. Yes. So, and historic, and like last year too, you thought about, or, you know, uh, Kyle Hamilton. One thing that kept coming up when we were talking about Kyle was he was like the magic eraser meaning that he was so talented that he could make up for the shortcomings of the secondary, uh, which that's kind of what I meant as well as like, okay, well, you know that Kyle Hamilton can run across the field uh, and save you and pick it off or, you know, or make the play in coverage. I was worried, well, do they have that kind of player this year? And the answer, like I said, Benjamin Morrison for me filled that gap of someone who can get you the ball, force turnovers. And he just has a knack for it. So that, to me, was exciting moving forward. And his counterpart next season should be Jaden Mickey, along with Cam Hart. And Cam Hart announced this week he will return next season. A shoulder injury will keep him out of the bowl game. But with his return, you have up to four cornerbacks with starting experience in 2023. Well, Jaden Mickey got beat a few times this season. The Two of the three times that come to my mind, he was left on an island by a safety blitz. And the first one was way back at Ohio State, and, and Al Golden said immediately afterward, Tariq Bracey got injured the play before, and we shouldn't have called that when Jaden Mickey was the freshman corner in this first game, and that was a huge personal mistake by me, the defensive coordinator. But so those those mistakes, sure, they stick with Jaden Mickey, but they shouldn't reflect on him. He might not have had the interceptions that Benjamin Morrison had this year, but in August, Jaden Mickey was more hyped. Jaden Mickey is is the supposed quarterback of the future just this past preseason. So those two together should really shore up that secondary. And you're right, Notre Dame's defensive line will reload. Notre Dame's linebackers won't have a ton of turnover. So when you have two corners that you can trust, this defense might be primed for another excellent season. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. So let's think about... um the expectations going into the bowl game. Where do you think they're going to end up? Um, let's let's start there. Where do you think they're going to end up? It'll be somewhere in the Southeast, Cheez-It, Gator. Uh, I don't have in front of me who those are against. They're both Power 5 opponents, which some Notre Dame fans are going to prefer to if they'd won on Saturday and be playing 
Central Florida or Tulane and the Cotton Bowl. You're going to get a Power 5 opponent, and it's going to be a good measuring stick. The, the question will be, can Marcus Freeman better prepare Notre Dame than last year when we remember that Fiesta Bowl face plant? But the, the real item, it's a balancing act nowadays, bowl games. Uh, you have to be okay with Michael Mayer presumably opting out. He hasn't yet. I'm not trying, but you assume that. You have to be okay with that. You have to support him with that. But then you also have to insist on winning this game for the seniors. You have to insist on sending Jarrett Patterson and Josh Lug out on a winning note. And that's, do you play Steve Angeli? You, you, you can. You can play the, the freshman quarterback who nobody's seen anything from. But you have to prioritize winning for those seniors. It's, it's a fine balancing act for coaches these days. So moving into next year, let's say, you know, you have a good showing. Um, what is the expectation? You said start fast, but do you think national championship contenders, college football playoff contenders, help me understand where, where do you think they'll fall as far as this team next year in the, the landscape of college football? A lot of it depends on quarterback. Um, a lot of it depends on quarterback. Notre Dame has, again, the same three, big three from this season have them next year just inverted locations start with ohio state in south bend then you get usc in south bend and then you head to clemson i don't care if clemson lost to south carolina clemson is still a top 10 team next year ohio state and usc are definitely top 10 teams next year so is notre dame a playoff contender I, you, you can lose at most one game it's it's tough it's tough to yeah, if you can split Ohio State and USC at home and then go on the road and, and beat Clemson, then yeah, it's a playoff contender. The rest of the schedule should set up for it. You would have said that this year, and then you lost to Marshall and you lost to Stanford. But let's chalk those up to a first-year head coach, a first-year defensive-minded head coach who might not be as well-versed in offensive game time, uh, uh, game management, timing situations. We've seen that before. Dave Aranda and Baylor comes to mind as a huge game management improvement from season one to season two. So maybe that improvement alone takes the Marshall loss or the Stanford loss off the table. Can Notre Dame find the offensive playmakers to keep up with Ohio State and Clemson and South Carolina and, and USC next year? That's one of those three this year. It couldn't. It needs to change that. Well, I mean, the offensive playmaker, they had Michael Mayer. And I want to show, once again, Michael Mayer, he had a, a, a big, 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 big year. He, he was kind of on this quest to rewrite every record in the book. And he got a lot of them. <laughs> he got all of them, Corey. He got all of them except for yards in a game. He got he had every record except for 165 or so yards in a game. What impressed you about this um, this out this season for Michael Mayer? It was that no one act offense should still function like he did. When when a defense knows he's all that we need, like broadly speaking, he was all defenses had to worry about, and he still did it. USC knew they had to stop Michael Mayer, and he ends up with 98 yards and two touchdowns. That's not that's not normal. You shouldn't be able to outmuscle everybody on the field when they know you are the problem. That will forever like that's that's kind of like Kyle Hamilton picking off four passes in a couple of games when every quarterback in the world knows don't throw near Kyle Hamilton. Well, yeah, that meant don't throw downfield because he could cover it all. How do you stop Michael Mayer? Well, you tackle him at the line of scrimmage was what it came down to. There was just no other way to do it. The other thing that's going to stick with me, and it was a really cool moment that we got to experience twice, when he set a record in the BYU game in Las Vegas. 
the in-arena big screen keyed in on him as they announced it. He was on the sideline, and he acknowledged the Notre Dame crowd. And then again, when Notre Dame beat Clemson, he gets a, I think it was a cat, it was a touchdown to set another Notre Dame record, and they key in on him, and he just savors it, and everybody like lets him have his moment. And that was that was something special for you don't usually see that in the game. And NBA games, they say, hey, thanks to thanks to Kevin Garnett for all his years here, and that's a timeout moment that is set aside. These were between plays and just a quick shot of Michael Mayer on the sidelines thanking the crowd. That was really unique, and that'll stick with me. Uh, I, I personally thought Michael Mayer um, grew in his blocking this year. He had some, I mean, I thought some really good blocks. <laughs> I was like, because it's one thing, cause he told us that he wanted to focus on that. And knowing Michael Mayer, I was like, okay, well, he's going to put a lot of work into this. And I think that rounded out his game and and made him a complete tight end. Going into this season, Doug, he was on the the um, watch list for the Mackey Award, which is best tight end, and the Blitnikoff, which is best receiver. And that, I think, is indicative of where, you know, There's the game is going. And what? the Lombardi for best lineman. <laughs> so, so, like, my point is, that like, I think that's kind of, like, indicative of where the game is going as far as this tight end position. You have to be able to do everything. And, and he's one of those guys who can actually do everything. And that is so rare. So I think that those moments that you mentioned of us being able to just savor it, not just him, but us, like you don't right. see Michael Mayer every, every, like every year. This is, this is like a very rare um, talent that we got to witness. So Marcus Freeman, he wrapped up his first year. What are the highlights? Well, Clemson, it's, it's Clemson. And I, the moment that'll stick with me is so he does the on-field interview with Zora Stevenson and and the university security guard who's with him at all times like we're getting you off this field and Freeman didn't want to leave he wanted to enjoy the moment and he goes to the locker room talks to the team when he leaves the locker room the tunnel is filled with the fans who stormed the field and and they're eight wide just slowly moving out toward touchdown Jesus and they see Freeman come out of the locker room and it's it's chaos I was I, I skipped the first few seconds of the postgame press conference with him just to absorb some more of that chaos. And then after his, his press conference, he goes back out. The tunnel is still packed. And that's when he got his own moment. And we were talking about Michael Mayer on the video board. Freeman got his own moment of just embracing this crowd. And you could see this first year, 36-year-old coach embracing his first huge success. And it was a cool moment to see him realize everything he'd been talking about, even when Notre Dame had lost to Marshall and lost to Stanford. So that moment encapsulated Notre Dame's surge this season of just we're three and three. Nope, now we're eight and three. Isaiah Foskey. You and I have a disagreement here. You like to praise his record setting. I like to point out he got the career record, not the single season record. No matter what, he had double-digit sacks in two consecutive seasons, and that's the kind of thing that is special in college football. That's the kind of thing you expect for an Ohio State defensive end or a Clemson defensive end. You don't see it at Notre Dame very often. There's a reason he set the, the career sacks record that was held by Justin Tuck because he did it in two consecutive seasons, and that – or it, we're asking who's going to replace him. It's not going to happen. It's it's going to be a, a hole there because he was that dominant. The thing that made him so, I mean, amazing is that like he, he was, I mean, he is. The thing that makes him so amazing, I should say, is he's so big, so strong, but unbelievably fast. 
like <laughs> sideline to sideline speed, rushing the quarterback. I mean, his hand placement technique coming off the line. It's kind of like the speed uh, for me is what stands out and makes him elite. Uh, yes, size, yes, strength, but speed is something that isn't always associated with with that type of size and strength. And I mean, it was remarkable. I, it's like, I, I don't really know how you stop him other than you just slow him down. The the sacks that were my favorites were the ones where his speed would get him upfield and the quarterback would think, oh, if I just step forward a yard and a half, I'm fine. But Foskey had closed the gap so much that his long arm could still take down the quarterback. It was that combination of speed and length in those moments. He got there sooner than expected. And then his, just his hand, just getting his hand on a shoulder pad would doom that quarterback. One thing that really stood out to me is the punt block. I mean, this team, the special teams, it's a severely overlooked aspect of of any type of football team until something happens, whether good or bad. The fact that this punt block team changed the trajectory of so many games, uh, you alter field position, you give your, uh, your, remember, because Drew Pine was a backup quarterback. Right. I mean, which is, you know, it's like it's hard for us to kind of like wrap our minds around that. You know, we're at the end of the year. We've seen him, you know, win so many games uh, after the rough start. But the reality is that he was a backup quarterback to start the season to give him a shortened field um, time and time and time again and alter that chemistry of the game. I thought was a massive boon um, that I thought, once again, built the uh, the momentum train that we saw towards the end of the season. What do you think about the pump block team? I think the greatest compliment anybody could ever give to the pump block team and special teams coordinator Brian Mason was USC being so scared to bring out his punter that Caleb Williams was pooched. Like, that wasn't a, hey, we think this is a really good way to pin. No, that was a, we don't want to face the pump block team. That was pure and simple saving their own rear ends, which it's a compliment to Jack Kaiser, to Isaiah Foskey, to Jordan Motello, to Prince Kali and to coordinator Brian Mason. I'm missing at least two names of guys who got pump blocks because it was seven different players. That was the other amazing thing about that group. It wasn't like Isaiah Fosti kept getting a mitt up there. It, was, it started with Bo Bauer, and he missed half the season. But it was these guys who could just – they kept finding a way to get somebody through, and that's where Brian Mason kept analyzing something. And, and there was one, I think it was Clemson, where he, he said to Jordan Botello, they're going to leave you unblocked. If you stay one yard back, they're going to leave you uncovered, and you just go. And it was exactly what they expected. It was, it was, un like I. It became unbelievable. Like the literal sense of I could not believe it every time there was another one, and that's where I just USC. Like, kudos to you for having for having the 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 pride. But you know what? We, we're not going to mess with this. Well, thank you so much for for jumping on the pod, Doug. It's always a pleasure to talk Notre Dame with you and uh, hear your insight and expertise. I'm looking forward um, to watching the bowl game. So we wish Notre Dame the the best of luck in that game. And and thank everyone uh, listening for tuning in this season and for following uh, this journey this season, Marcus Friedman's first year. So stay up to date on all things Notre Dame on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Go Irish! Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. 
NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.